Hey, thanks for listening to our Life Church Utah podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are located here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you can check us out online at lifechurchutah.com. Good morning, Life Church. There we go. For those who don't know, uh, my name is Rich, and I'm the pastor of Life Church, even though I haven't been here for like a month. So uh, let me just fill you in on kind of what's going on. I uh, had surgery at the end of August, um, uh, pretty easy one, but they had to fix something that wasn't quite fixed way back in February. So, you know, they got to go back in and all that stuff. And then right after that, COVID ran through our house. And so uh, we are uh, thankfully back and on our feet and everybody's healthy and fine and uh, just grateful. Thank you. I mean, many of you knew that we were uh, fighting through that. And thank you for your prayers. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, just grateful to be back with the family, right? And as Pastor Tate said a moment ago, you visit once and, or you're a guest once and then uh, next week is family. Really, we want that to be true. And uh, I was sitting down here during first service and now second service and look around from time to time uh, during worship. Yeah, my eyes were open during worship. It's okay. You can do that. And uh, uh, looking around and it was just awesome to see family, right? To see those of you, this is, this is where you come. And uh, God is up to something among us. And I am uh, so grateful for that. And so thank you uh, for being here on a, uh, on a Sunday morning. And let's see what God wants to do uh, within our lives. I do want to say thank you to Natasha, Pastor John, Pastor Tate uh, for filling the pulpit over the last uh, three Sundays. I'm really grateful for their ministry and grateful for their leadership. And uh, why don't we show appreciation uh, for them and their leadership and bringing it. Um, so I've heard Natasha speak before and Pastor John, never had heard Pastor Tate, so I was very nervous What's he going to do or say? And he did fantastic. So grateful for uh, Pastor Tate and Kristen uh, with them. And also, quick update on uh, Pastor Alfred. Um, obviously, very close to us here at Life Church, and uh, he was, uh, I think, about five weeks on a ventilator due to COVID and all of that. And uh, he is back out and about, and very excited. He has a long journey to go on recovery for him and gaining strength and all of that. Uh, but I did happen to see him on Tuesday. He stopped by the church here, had a chance to uh, say hello to him. He looks great. He's got a beard. He's never had a beard before. He's got a beard and uh, just so excited. But I know that once he uh, gets a little more strength, that we'll certainly be celebrating with him uh, back here at Life Church and just grateful uh, for his ministry and all of that. So super thankful uh, for what God is doing in uh, Pastor Alfred's life as well. So um, <clears throat> what does it mean to be Christian? That's a good question. <laughs> Right, And I don't think we think about that question very often, but really, I think it's an important one for us to ask. What does it actually mean to be Christian? Not to be a Christian, but to be Christian. What does that look like in the world in which we live today? Um, and I think it has growing importance for us because of what we have experienced over the last 18 months or so. And I don't know about you, but there have been questions that I have certainly fielded when uh, people have asked me, Pastor, what is the Christian thing to do when it comes to masks? What does the Bible say about masks? The Bible says nothing about surgical masks. Just so you know, it says nothing. Pastor, what should we do about vaccinations? Pastor, what should we do? The Bible says nothing about vaccination. Just so you know, there's not like a biblical, right? Okay, and so we have to navigate this. What's the Christian response to this? So what does it mean to be Christian? So in our world today, we have this, uh, this strange thing that we're up against that uh, cultural Christianity is a very, very real thing. 
And uh, if the, the studies that they show on like the percentages of people that call themselves Christians uh, in America, that is a, a diminishing number. I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, back in like the 40s, 50s, that number was dramatically higher than what it is now. And there are some studies that show or some uh, surveys that show that uh, Christianity in America is roughly, or claiming Christianity is roughly only 50% of our nation. And that number has been as high as 80, 85%, uh, certainly in the past. And so that brings up a bit of, a, does that concern you? I mean, is that like a shock uh, to you there? Now, within that number of 50% claiming Christianity, other studies show something a little bit different. Because other studies show, and this is through Gallup and Pew Research, is that 6% of those 50% of Americans that claim Christianity, only 6% have a biblical worldview. So that means is only 6% of the 50% that are claiming to be Christians actually consider the Bible as being something important to their everyday life. And so in America, if you do all the math, which I did for you, I'm not asking you to do math, you can pull out your phones and calculators, right? So did the math, approximately... 10 million people in America have a biblical worldview. 10 million out of what, 330 million or so? Does that shock you? Where are you in all of that? Where are you? Do you have a biblical worldview? So, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is it a political party? Now, I'm not going to get too political here, but I got to get a little bit political. Um, I have heard it said from people that attend here. No, no, let me say this. I have never heard it from anybody here at Life Church Utah. No, but I have heard it said from somebody who is on the conservative Republican side of things. I cannot believe a Democrat can call themselves a Christian. Have you heard that before? Now, I've also heard from a Democrat saying, I cannot believe that a Republican calls themselves a Christian. Or an independent. <laughs> or a libertarian party, or a constitutional party, or a green party, right? Doesn't really matter. Does Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does being a Christian, or being Christian, does that mean a political party that you have to espouse a particular view for? In our world today, there's a ton of pressure in that direction. All right, so what does it mean to be Christian? Is it a set of rules that one follows? That I do this particular action or I, I, I partake in this particular kind of way of thinking or acting and that makes me a Christian? Another one is, 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 Christian, is, is it to be Christian, is it faith alone? And we're going to talk about this quite a bit uh, a little bit later on in the message. But is it faith alone? If, if I just say, I love Jesus and believe in him, then that's enough and I can go on my merry way and everything's taken care of. As long as I've memorized a magic formula, and maybe it goes something like this, Lord, I've, I've sinned again, I know I shouldn't, but I keep doing the same thing over and over again, but... I know you're going to forgive me because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, I demand your forgiveness because I'm Christian. Maybe I said a prayer when I was a child 
And I went on my own way and did everything I wanted to do, but because I said a prayer when I was six years old, it's all good. God knows my heart. Do you feel the heaviness right now? <laughs> what does it mean to be Christian? Is it social justice? Is it caring for the poor and the widow? Is it loving others? Is it going to church? Is it being the member of Life Church Utah? And that's what it means to be Christian. Is it attending a life group? Is it attending a midweek class? Which, by the way, 7 p.m. midweek classes uh, we have, so, <laughs> right? Is it being born in America? Is it trying to live a morally upright life? What does it mean to be Christian? It really is an important question that deserves a good answer. And today, I will endeavor to begin answering this question. Uh, we're not going to answer this question because we're going to be digging in over the next uh, a long time, <laughs> walking through, to me, what is one of the most incredible books in the Bible. We're going to be walking through the book of Romans. It's already up there. And this whole idea of what does it mean to be Christian, right? What does it mean to be Christian? Romans is this incredible book in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It stands kind of at the very beginning of these letters that this guy named Paul, which we're going to talk a lot about this morning, that Paul begins writing to these churches, and Paul lays out in the book of Romans this as a big part of the book, or the letter as it originally was. What does it mean to be Christian? Now, he certainly answers a lot of other questions, he digs into a lot of other things that we're going to get to uh, in this book, but this seems to be a thread that weaves its way all the way through the book of Romans. And I think it's a really important question for us to ask, and especially as we get to the end of the message today, I really believe God's going to challenge us. Now, there's this guy from the 1500s. His name is Martin Luther, so not Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, that's not the Martin Luther we're talking about. Martin Luther of Reformation of the Church fame. Um, this is what he wrote about the book of Romans. He said, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word. Okay, so by the way, little did you know that today we're all going to memorize the book of Romans beginning today. No, okay. Um, oh, that's a good idea. I want to challenge you to do that, right? Okay, but he says it's not only worthy, uh, see, worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself or herself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt, uh, dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Now, I got to tell you, in the book of Romans, we are going to be hitting some pretty tough topics. We're going to be walking through this. And the reason why we're going through the book of Romans is this. For those of you who remember, and I know all of you take incredible copious notes every time you come here on a Sunday morning, just binders, reams filled with notes. I know you do that. But in case you haven't, um, beginning in January, we walked through the book of Mark and we talked about the life of Jesus, right? We went through, you know, every bit of his life as much as we could over those, over those number of weeks. And then we jump, uh, jumped into uh, the Lord's Prayer. We talked about the Lord's Prayer and how important and powerful it is in our life. Then we jumped into the miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John. So we have had a lot of Jesus over the past uh, 10 months or so, which is fantastic, right? But here's what I wanted to do. And as I was trying to figure out where are we going next, 
I really felt the conviction of God say, all right, was it, what does it actually mean to follow after Jesus? Was it, what does it actually mean <laughs> to be Christian? Is there something required of us when it comes to the story that Jesus has laid out through his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection? Is it important for us to do something? Well, the story of the book of Romans actually starts in the book of Acts. And so what we find out in the book of Acts, if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2, um, this is on the day of Pentecost, and if you remember a number of weeks ago, we talked about the day of Pentecost, and uh, this was a celebration in Jerusalem, and uh, every good uh, Jewish individual or convert to Judaism, they would make their way to Jerusalem at this time of the year, which happens to be um, 50 days after Passover, and so for us usually in the month of May. And uh, so there they are uh, celebrating this, uh, this incredible um, uh, festival uh, there in Jerusalem. And gathered in Jerusalem were people from all over the world. And this is what it says. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, the sound talking about is early on in Acts chapter 2, the sound of the Holy Spirit descending on that early church there as they were in the upper room. When, they heard, when the sound occurred, a crowd gathered and they were in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Anytime you see the word Galilean in the Bible, it's probably a slam. Because it's talking about basically saying, aren't these the uneducated people of our society and our world? How is it that they know other languages, right? That's kind of the thing. Now, real quick, survey. Doesn't matter how you answer this, but answer truthfully. How many of you know more than one language? Raise your hand really quickly. My hand, by the way, is not raised, so all I know is like English and some pig Latin. Okay, so, um, right, so raise your hand again if you know more than one language. Look at you guys, you are fantastic, all right. Everybody, learn another language, it's a good thing. Um, so it says this, and how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? And then this huge list, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, uh, Pontus, and the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene. And then it says this, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, and then the list continues, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds that God has done. So there's this huge crowd of people gathered. They're listening to the sound of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon this early church. Peter gets up and begins to give this incredible message. And in this group of 3,000 people, the Bible says, that, um, uh, that this, within this group, there are those who are from Rome. There's this small group of people, we don't have any idea how many people it was, but within that 3,000 that day that came to Jesus after the message that was given by Peter, those folks were from Rome and they heard the story of Jesus and it changed their life. And so we don't have a lot of information about what happened after this, but what we know is after the day of Pentecost and any time that they had spent in Jerusalem, which might have just been uh, uh, just a handful of other days, they would have returned to Rome and all that they knew was wrapped up in the little bit that they've heard about Jesus. That's it. 
That is absolutely the bottom line for them. And so they go, and they, they go back to the synagogue that they were a part of, and they begin telling the others in the synagogue, hey, we need to tell you a little bit about what we heard while we were in Jerusalem. It was incredible. There, we heard people praising God in our tongue, and then we heard about this guy named Jesus who's the Messiah, and he's here to change our lives and transform us. And that began the church in Rome with just a handful of people. I mean, think about that. How about you coming to Salt Lake City being the only one who had heard about Jesus and you're the only one among 1.3 million people and you've got you and a handful of other people? What would that be like for you? Well, that's what it was for Rome, for this early church. And again, all that they had was what they knew about Jesus. So in the year 49 AD, so this happened roughly 33 AD, something like that. In the year 49 AD, there is a Roman emperor. His name was Claudius. And uh, Claudius was not a very friendly individual. And uh, because he was emperor, he could do whatever he wanted to do. And he began to notice something. And, and we find this uh, from a couple of different places in uh, ancient history. It says that Emperor Claudius in uh, AD 49, he expelled the Jews from Rome because they were constantly rioting at the instigation of Crestus. And now many scholars think that that word Crestus actually should be Christus and that there might, be, might have been a problem when they uh, translated it. But uh, there, there seemed to be something going on within the synagogues and there were arguments breaking out between those who were followers of Jesus and those who were Jews and there were problems and eventually Claudius goes, enough, and kicks out all of the Jews. He doesn't make a distinction between Jews and Christians. Just says, all of you, get out of here. And so all of the Jews were cast out of, um, out of Rome. And we see this in the book of uh, Acts. It's actually referred to. Well, about five years later, Claudius dies. And uh, once the emperor dies, you know you're not going to have any trouble. So all of the Christians make their way back to the church in Rome. And then about three years later, Paul writes to this early church. Now, I wanted to give you a little bit of background uh, for this because this is important for us as we start to navigate what does it mean to be Christian? Because the one thing that sets apart the people who are there in the synagogue from everybody else, the one thing that sets them apart from all of the rest of culture at the time, the one thing was Jesus. Folks, ultimately, Christianity is all about Jesus. That is absolutely the bottom line. What you think, and, or actually what you believe about who Jesus is, that's what matters. And so what we begin to find out here in the beginning of what Paul is talking about to the uh, church in Rome is he begins to hone in on a couple of things that are absolutely key for the entire letter. And sorry that today's a little teachy at this point, but we've, we've really got to have ourselves a strong foundation to understand what's coming in the book of Romans because of the challenge that is in front of us so that we know what it is actually to be Christian. And so Paul begins to write, Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 1, if you've got your uh, Bibles or smart devices, make sure you got those out. And again, I encourage you to take notes. Uh, we really want to grow in the Lord. This is one of our foundational things for Life Church is we're committed to biblical truth, and so we're going to walk through the Bible, and uh, we're going to learn from it. So uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, it says this, from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, it says, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was a descendant of David with reference to the flesh, 
who was appointed the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and our apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles on behalf of his name. You also are among them called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those who are loved by God in Rome, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So within these first seven verses, as we have them recorded, Paul is starting to set this foundation of what it means to be Christian. And it's interesting that the very, very first thing that he points out in this whole story is his own story. And I got to tell you, folks, this can be an incredible place to start. I think Paul, by telling this, he's basically saying it is okay to start with your story because here's what he says. He says, uh, he says in there, he says, I've been called to be an apostle. I've been set apart by God. Now, what does all of that mean? He's been set apart in particular. Now, Paul, his name used to be Saul. In Acts chapter 9, we find out a little bit about this guy. Saul was a bad dude. He was a bad character. If he was part of the mafia, that's probably where he was, right? <laughs> and, uh, but he was in this position where he did not like the church at all. He was part of the religious establishment. He wanted to get rid of the church. And so he was doing everything he possibly could to get rid of the church, even endorsing the stoning or the killing of Stephen, uh, one, of, uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, you've, you've got this thing where now uh, Saul is on his way to persecute the church. He's been given um, a command. He's been given authority to arrest Jesus people, right? He's been given the authority to arrest people who are following after Jesus. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, that this story begins to unravel for Paul because he is on his way and he's knocked off of his horse, sees a vision of Jesus, and people, though, are still afraid of Saul. Have you ever known somebody and you would point to them and say, that is the last person in the world that I would expect God to love? (laughs) Anybody know someone like that? Anybody even here, you'd say, yeah, I was the last person that God would love because of the things that I have done, right? So this is what's going on in Paul's life. He had done all these things, not loving God, not loving Jesus, and yet Jesus has a plan for Paul's life. So there's this guy named Ananias. He's a prophet in the early church, and uh, he's a little bit scared at what God is asking him to do. God wants Ananias to go where Paul is and to lay hands on him and pray for him. But Ananias replied in verse 13 of Acts chapter 9, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to imprison all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. There's something about Paul. There's something about him. And Jesus looks at him, and regardless of what he had done, regardless of the threats he had made against the church, regardless of the stuff he had said, the blasphemy he had said against the Holy Spirit. It does not matter. Jesus says, I've got something for this guy. I'm setting him apart. And I think about even in my own life and what Jesus has done in my own life. I didn't deserve salvation. Right, the road that I was going down, and it's going to sound weird, but even as a junior hire, <laughs> right, it really it was. I found alcohol. I could, I could find it. I drank it a lot. Uh, that was going to be my life. I saw it in my dad as an alcoholic. I saw it, that was the road I was going down, and Jesus stopped me in my tracks when I was about 17. 
He says, Rich, I got something for you. I think he does the same thing for all of us. I think for many of you, you could point and say, yeah, there was a time in my life I was running away from him, and yet he chose me. Some, for some reason, he chose me to carry the name of Jesus to Gentiles and to Jews. And now Paul, about 20 years later, he is writing this letter to this young church that's now about you know, 15, 16 years old that this little church is, and Paul's writing to them and saying, hey, we need to get some things straight about what it means to be Christian. We need to get some things straight about what it means to follow after Jesus. I'm going to invite a worship team coming up here as we begin closing out. Um, and I got a lot of notes I got to skip over here. I'm sorry about that. Maybe we'll hit it next week. Um, so he talks about the gospel. And what is the gospel? And so he knows that there are people with, that are within these uh, synagogues who are still really steeped into Judaism. He knows also that the Christians, many of the Christians who are there have come out of Judaism and uh, are now serving Jesus. And so he's super careful how he starts talking about the gospel. And how he starts out by talking about it is that this gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. He says that there are scriptures, right? And he talks about David, who's the king of Israel. And he grounds it there in the Old Testament. And then what he does, he goes, well, you know what? That's kind of the human side of this Jesus that you're going to find all out about in this uh, letter that I'm writing you. That's the human side of, of, uh, of Jesus through the lineage of David. And so for the Jews, that was incredibly important. And yet there's more to the story. And there really is more to the story for us as well. We're not locked into the Old Testament. Uh, there is something more. And he goes on, he says, but this Jesus has been resurrected back to life, right? Because this is the son of God in power through the resurrection from the dead. And so not only is Jesus human, but there's a divine aspect to who Jesus is. And so even at this very beginning moment, Paul is saying, all right, there's, there's some things we got to get straight, that Jesus is fully human, and yet at the same time, he's fully God, and we got to start talking about this because he is the Messiah who's come to save us all. And then he goes on as he, after he talked about his own authority, the life change that's happened within him. Uh, he talks again about the Old Testament, the divinity of Jesus. He talks about the resurrection. He talks about grace. And then he ends by talking a little bit about faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. He says this in Romans 1.5. Uh, Through him we've received grace in our apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now this is where I'm going to step on some toes. Is that okay if we uh, work through this? Um, I see some people shaking their heads. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this gets at the heart of all of this that, that Paul's trying to get uh, really through all of the book of Romans. There's a tension that we live in. Because we read the Word of God and, and we read the New Testament and there is a whole lot that the New Testament says about the fact that we are saved by faith. Right, We are saved by faith that there is a, a trust and a belief in who Jesus is. And we say, Jesus, we believe in you and we declare you as Lord of our life. We believe in you and that is enough. And yet somehow we've got to ask the question, is that all that there is though? Right, we, we, we pray a prayer in a moment and then that's enough? In the book of John, Jesus makes this statement, statement which I think is pretty powerful. And honestly, before walking through this and studying this, 
really haven't ever put these two things together. But it says this in John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, whoever has faith in the Son has eternal life. Right, I mean, what, what, and how many of us stop right there? Like, yes, I've got faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and now I've got eternal life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says next. He says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So even Jesus recognizes that there's a tension that we live our lives in. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith in the book of Ephesians. But there's more to our faith than just a mental assent to who Jesus is. And that's obedience. And so we have to walk this really fine line because if we're not careful, especially given the cultural reality that that we live in here, uh, very unique in our nation, right, is it is very, very easy to begin to put a ton of focus upon the obedience side of things. That we look the part, right? That we have the right actions in our life. Pastor, are you gonna start talking about what movies we get to watch and what TV shows I can watch <laughs> and what humor I can laugh at, right? No, I'm not, I'll let God deal with you on all of that stuff, okay? That's not my, my place to do that, right? But there's something about the faith that we have that's got to be enacted. There's something about this, this mental ascent and spiritual understanding of, of belief that has to be coupled with action in our lives. That means what we do is important. That means how we live our lives is vital. That we don't just say Jesus is Lord and then do nothing after that. And yeah, this gets into the way that we express ourselves through politics. This gets in to every bit of our lives and how we express ourselves through our ethics, through our moral standing. This gets into the jokes that we laugh at, to the choices that we make in the music, in the movies, in television, to the social media that we imbibe. All of this matters. Now remember, we're saved by faith, right? Saved in that trust and belief in Him. We're not saved by the works that we do. This is where that tension lies for us. We don't earn our way to salvation. Jesus paid for it on the cross. So that's done and dealt with. But there's something about obedience to understanding who Jesus is and the way that we live our lives. So we can fall on one side of this and have like a really sloppy kind of grace faith where we don't, we don't think that the decisions that we make matter because we've got enough faith that it's all going to be okay. I've got enough love and it's all going to be okay. Or we can go on the other side of it and be shackled to obedience and shackled to this, to this lack of freedom, right, in the way that we live our lives. And somewhere in the middle, right, is Jesus hanging on that cross holding both of those in tension look to him and say, Jesus, help us be obedient to you. We've got faith in you because you live in us. You're going to change and transform us through the power of your spirit. 
Um, There's a quote that I saw uh, earlier. It says, faith, if genuine, always has obedience as its outcome. Let me say that again. Faith, if genuine, always has obedience as its outcome. Obedience, if it is to please God, must always be accompanied by faith. Right? So we've, we've got this going on in our lives that because we believe in Jesus, now our lives should be different in the way that we live them. We don't reflect the world, we reflect Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out this morning. At the very end of what Paul said here in his letter, one thing that I, I just think is so beautiful, is that at the very end of the letter, he says, oh yeah, by the way, um, it's not just me that's called, it's not just me that's set apart, but you are set apart as well by Christ. You are those who can participate in what Jesus is doing in this world. And then we echo the words of Jesus, right? Man, if we have faith in the Son of God, we have eternal life, but there's also obedience that's required as well in the way that we live our lives. And so over the next number of months, and yep, I said months, we're going to be digging into Romans as we find out what it actually means to be Christian invite you to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I'm so grateful uh, for this morning, grateful for the people who've gathered here for this awesome congregation. And God, as we're dealing with some pretty uh, difficult things, Lord, I pray that you would help us to navigate it in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Every head bowed, every close for just a moment. You're here this morning, and really there, there's the two, two sides of this that we talked about today. There's the faith side of it that can get really sloppy, right, where you just think, Hey, you know, I prayed when I was just a young little kid um, and it's all good. It doesn't matter how I live my life now because I prayed that one time or I've got this magic formula that I just ask for God for forgiveness and it's all okay. Right? So there's that side of it. And you've got the other side of it. And uh, there are some of you who deal with this pretty heavily. You never feel like you measure up. You never feel like you're good enough. You never feel like you can uh, have earned your way to God's love somehow. And so there's this, this tension and this um, this constant sense of failure in your life and either side of these extremes are wrong (laughs) somewhere in the middle here is where we as followers of Christ in faith believing him and then in obedience following him that's where we need to live our lives but maybe you'd say pastor I'm kind of caught on one of these extremes or the other and you say I just want prayer so that I can make my way back to Jesus in a way that brings honor to him if that's you can just lift your hand really quickly you're kind of on one of those sides feeling like that too far on the face side too far on the obedience side thank you lots of hands up father God you see every one of these hands that have been lifted up and God I am grateful that we have opportunity to come together to be part of your family And God, as we live in that tension, God, between faith and obedience, Lord, help us to keep our eyes upon you, Jesus. Lord, just like Paul did, just like the early Roman church did, God, now that is to us to do exactly the same thing, that God, we wouldn't fall into the trap that our lives don't matter and we pray some sort of prayer and it's like some sort of magic uh, amulet that we just pray it and it's all good. And God, help us also not to fall on the other side where, uh, where we always feel defeated and broken because we cannot live up to some sort of standard. But God, right in the middle is your son, Jesus, who's given himself for us. And Lord, by faith, we receive you. And God, help us by faith as well to live lives obedient to what's revealed in your word. 
God, I thank you for these who are your people. I pray your blessing upon them. And God, as we give ourselves to you, help us to represent you well. God, as you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you, God, help us, Lord, uh, to be led by you, led by your spirit. And uh, Father, help us to do that, being deeply committed to your word. God, help us to show radical generosity to the world around us. And God, help us to intentionally love those who don't know you. God, we love you, praise you, give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I do want to encourage you, uh, before before you leave today, um, read the book of Romans. I need you to do that. As your pastor, I'm asking you to do I'm going to have a show of hands next week if you read. No, I won't do that. Um, but I do want you to read the book of Romans. The reason why I want you to do that is, as we walk through this, we're going to be hitting some pretty tough subjects. The book of Romans is filled with things that are very much against what our culture says is right. And so I want you to read the word of God for yourselves. Don't just take my word for it as your pastor, right? I want you to dig in. I want you to start thinking about questions. I want you to start praying. I want you to say, God, help us as a church live in that tension of faith and obedience. Because folks, we're going to have some pretty tough subjects coming up that we're going to be dealing with even not next week, but in two weeks, we're going to be walking through some pretty tough stuff and uh, want you to be on board with what God is speaking through his word. All right. So let's do this together. I really believe God wants to do something great here in the coming weeks. Invite people, let them know that God's up to something here at Life Church. So God bless you guys. See you next week.